Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, you're listening to the Dead Parent Podcast. The podcast where we talk about all things dead parent. The good, the bad, and the banter. Hosted by Sam. And Kat. Um, so here with us today is a woman called Jamie Murray. Uh, Jamie reached out to us via Instagram and we've actually just found out that she is Puerto Rican, however recently moved to Florida. So again this week we have three of us in three completely different locations across the world, which is pretty cool. Um, so I'm going to start this podcast by kind of just giving it over to Jamie and letting her tell her story a little bit and then we'll go on from there. So Jamie, if you just want to introduce yourself and then just kind of let us know what happened. Yeah, hi everybody. I'm Jamie and I go by Honestly Grieving on Instagram. Yes, of course. That's my grief. (laughs) Grief Instagram. And um, I'm actually 32 right now. 32 years old. Um, like she said, I'm from Puerto Rico. I just recently moved here a year ago. So that's been fun. <laughs> that's <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Very terrifying. Very scary. <laughs> and basically, I'm here to talk about my dad, um, Carlos. Oh. He, yeah. He passed away. Well, he died on... June um, 2016, which sounds like a long time ago, if I had done it then, but I kind of like try to push it aside for the longest time. Yeah. And I'm like, now is when I'm really dealing with it, so to to speak. Mm. So I feel like it's pretty fresh for some reason. No, that's, yeah, that's totally understandable if you're only just kind of recently sort of kind of opening that wound again I suppose yeah but also 2016 really wasn't that long ago um so like both mine because was it my 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 dad I can't even remember what year now was it 2014 yeah and I still feel like that was yesterday um so yeah it's absolutely not like oh it's ages ago so what is it what happened to your dad Originally, he was uh, first diagnosed with cirrhosis um, of the liver back in, I want to say, 2009. I want to say 2009 because I'm not really sure. Like, he was the kind of person that didn't like going to doctors and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, according to my mom, um, 
they told him he had cirrhosis, but he just kind of left it at that at the moment. So what is what is cirrhosis? Um, it's like um, it's like it's a disease that um affects the liver. Okay. It usually happens um when you've like kind of abused your liver, you know, either with um heavy medication or yeah. alcohol. It's very common in alcoholics and well with heavy alcohol use. Yeah. And it kind of like creates a scar tissue around the the healthy liver. Well it kind of it's not healthy anymore, but it creates a scar tissue and it gets to the point where it start like stops working. And when that one stops working, it kind of makes the other organs um work overload so the other organs are also affected. Okay. So his in his case it was actually autoimmune, meaning that it was just came out of nowhere. Is we're pretty sure that is um a, a genetic thing, like hereditary, whatever. Because actually, one of his sisters um died from cirrhosis as well, liver disease. Oh, yeah. So, but that was like pretty much ages ago, and I don't really remember which sibling because he comes from a family of thirteen siblings. Oh, God. So it's kind of hard to keep track of my aunts and uncles from that side. Yeah, of the yeah, it is. The, they kind of didn't have anything else to do, apparently. <laughs> yeah, so he was actually um, 66 years old when he died. He would be 69 um, yeah. in two weeks. He's actually, um, his birthday is on February 26th. Uh, birthday is so, so difficult. Yeah, so that's, that date is looming. Close. Yeah getting ready for it <laughs> mentally preparing yourself i have the feeling that this year will be a little bit different since i'm just dealing with it now yeah yeah i've been trying to like you say repress pretty much everything that had to do with him for at least a year mm. i would say like i would just not talk about it at all Gosh. or even think about it and like people don't really talk about it that much. Well, they don't talk about it at all, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was. I think it's it's probably even worse, kind of, in America than I think it is here. I imagine, like with with people not willing to kind of open that conversation with each other. Um. Yeah, and I think it's also it's also a cultural thing. Um, me being Latina, yeah. they have kind of this saying that you have to let people rest in peace. So mm. it's pretty much the coffin is closed, he's on the ground, and you gotta just cry it out for a little bit and move on. Kind of that kind of attitude. Yeah. So I really haven't had that much of a good feedback of me having openly grieved him. Yeah. Yeah, but that's difficult. Yeah, to the point um where I actually, when I when he first passed away, I think it was on the second month, I actually started writing, mm. like writing on my Facebook wall and whatever, writing about him, writing about missing him. Yeah. And like just memories that came and important days and whatever. 
and I got a good feedback from my friends, but no, not not so much from my family. They don't even kind of acknowledge it, I guess. Gosh, I suppose they they grieve in yeah, they grieve in pretty hard, but I guess pretty internally they don't realize yeah. it. Um, so he actually, I remember being pretty depressed back in 2009. So, and one of the reasons I was pretty depressed and sad was because I was really worried about his health because I'm like kind of trying to think back to when I first knew he was sick and he wasn't a sick person. He was actually very healthy and very active. So I remember being really worried back then because he started showing some symptoms like um loss of balance he would get lost he wasn't as good as his job anymore and he started like getting a little bit depressed too so i remember being really worried but then nothing really happened did you know it was going to be something that would kill him that disease or was it that do you think he was going to get better from it oh no definitely not i didn't even imagine he would die from that at all i wasn't even thinking about that I was just um very close to him. Yeah, he was like, even when I moved out, out of the house, he would just call me every single day. We would talk oh. every single day, couple times a day. So we were pretty close. And I mean, kind of like he started changing a little bit. So I was kind of worried about that. But I never in a million years thought he would die from it. Like at first, we kind of ignored it until 2000. Um, I would say 2001, 2011, 2012, where yeah. he started showing so more symptoms, so more like like you couldn't couldn't really ignore them kind of symptoms. Like he would be, he would always insist on driving, and he would get lost or he wouldn't see something on the road. It was very obvious then that something was going on. So he started seeing some doctors, but the doctors weren't really that helpful in giving him a treatment or anything so it was pretty low-key and it was pretty i don't know it was pretty unsatisfactory in my opinion um treatment so i remember during those years um because i was in graduate school so i moved away like an hour away so i could start grad school in psychology so he would uh, visit me with my mom and he would stay the weekend, so I could definitely tell something was up. What did he say about it, or did he just try to ignore it? Uh, he, I think he was just, like, kind of, like, um, justified with another reason. Like, he wasn't that kind of touchy-feely kind of guy. He wasn't one to say, um, oh, I'm struggling, or I don't feel good. He would just kind of, like, seal it away. <laughs> yeah. I think, it, like, it has a lot to do with his upbringing. Like, he didn't have the best upbringing at all. Ah, uh, so your dad had a difficult time with it then? He was, really, like, a really, really good good dad. He was, he oh. always was. Not just because he's dead now, I mean. <laughs> because everybody talks about great things about the people that are dead. Yeah. But I had a good relationship with him for a reason. Did you say that you had a sister as well? Actually, I have um three siblings. Oh, wow. Yeah, I have a sister, and I actually have two sisters and a brother. We're all here within an hour of each other. Yeah. 
Um, my sister still lives at home with my mom. Uh, my older sister. My mm. older sister lives with her partner, and well, my brother has his family already. Oh, lovely! I'm the only single spinster. I feel your pain. <laughs> <laughs> I have my dogs with me, so. Ah, oh, um, what dogs do you have? I have three dogs, so that's you know. Oh wow! That's equivalent to a child. Yeah, one hundred percent. If not two children, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. But um, things were kind of like in his health. We're kind of in a standstill for the longest time. I mean, I'm talking about twenty. Um, 2009 as the first diagnosis but it's not until 2013 that it got actually serious like it got really really bad in 2013 what happened yes like something happened he had an emergency and i remember like clear clear as day right now it was april 22nd 2013 and my mom was with me at my house, so we were, like I said, like an hour away. And they called us because he had collapsed in his house, in my parents' house. And he was only with my sister, and she freaked out. She didn't know what to do. Um, she contacted my brother, who called 911, called emergency services. Yeah. So they took him to the hospital. And apparently he had lost so much blood already. The state of his liver was so bad that we had to rush from like an hour away where we were and just hope he wasn't going to die before we got there. It was like like they told us he wasn't going to make it through that night. Yeah, that must have been terrifying. Yeah, it was, I remember the drive to my parents' house and to the hospital. And it was just, I was crying the entire time. I was just sobbing. I was driving and I was sobbing the entire time, just thinking, please just let me make it so I can see him alive before he dies. It's horrible. It's horrible driving as well when you're crying like that. It's horrible. Yeah, Yeah, it was the longest drive of my life. Yeah, I bet. Like ages. Yeah, the amount of times that I... I've just been like sobbing and driving and just thinking I can barely see the road through my own tears. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's awful. But then so that was when that was twenty thirteen, so he didn't die then. He made it through the night. No, he made it through the night and he was actually in intensive care for like a week. Um he was getting, you know, transfusions, blood transfusions and just um a lot of medications, but they told us, say your goodbyes, like that time. And he was pretty out of it, which means that he was pretty confused. He was completely out of it. And that's another thing that came up along with the cirrhosis. It was um, autoimmune encephalitis, which is basically brain swelling because of the high levels of Im- ammonia in the brain. What, so the brain, like the brain function, like the brain stops functioning as well? It's not that it stops functioning, it's just that um, the cognitive functions of the brain just get severely, severely damaged. Yeah. And that's because his um, liver couldn't stop, it couldn't process the ammonia, process the ammonia. 
So it went straight to the brain. So what happened after that then, like when he kind of came around? Well, he was in the hospital for about two weeks and he actually, he got better from where he was in the hospital, but he never went back to where he was before that. Like, um, he was um, eventually able to stand up again and walk and he was in like this limited diet where he couldn't like eat red meats or stuff like that. And, and then it got pretty much, it went downhill from there. Were you living at home at this point or were you living away from home? No, I was going to school. Ah, of course, yeah, you were. So you were trying, so you were trying to study whilst your dad was still and wilding at home? Yeah, I was very much trying because I was not giving it my 100%. Like, I wasn't giving it my best because my mind was pretty much elsewhere. Yeah, but, well, Sam and I know exactly how that feels because both of us were also at university when our parents were dying, so, yeah. Yeah, and it takes, when it takes a while, it's especially hard, I think. Yeah. Because you're waiting for them to get better, but at the same time, you see them get worse and worse. For me, it took about three to four years for him to actually finally die. Mm. So those years, I still went to school, but I was like, <laughs> it was horrible. Like I was really behind. Oh, my mental health was just, oh, it was just shit, really. <laughs> it was just shit. <laughs> did you know that he was just going to continue deteriorating the whole time, or did you think he was going to get better? Actually, we were told by the doctors that as long as he got a transplant, he would be okay. He okay. would get, he would like go back to being not the same person, but he would get better. So my parents started the whole getting into the transplant list because he actually couldn't just receive a partial donation. Because I mean, in a second, I would have given him half my liver, you know. They didn't even try. He just told us he needs a full liver from, you know, a dead person. Yeah. The process was so, it was so ridiculous, to be honest. It was so hard and so ridiculous and so dehumanizing. I imagine that's another thing as well that's different in the US and the UK is obviously the healthcare system is so different. Yeah, definitely. I bet, I bet it must be. And it's really like, it's not as bad in Puerto Rico, I would, I would say, mm. like that it is here in the United States, in the main, um, the continental U.S., but it's still pretty bad. We still have to follow some rules, so to speak. Um, but he actually never, he actually never made it to the list in those years. Apparently, you have to be well enough to receive a, plant, a transplant. Yeah. Yeah. And the doctors were horrible, to be honest. The doctors, like one time, one one of the specialists told my mom right in front of my dad in the same room that why would they waste a liver on him if he wasn't well? Oh, that's such an awful thing to say. Yeah. And... They told him because he wasn't well, but it wasn't he wasn't well because of the encephalitis. Yeah. 
Like he didn't, he wouldn't know where he was at times. He would get really lost. He would have hard time walking and communicating. Apparently, you have to be like pretty much healthy to receive which a transplant. Makes, which makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, no this sense. But you have to be able to walk and talk and be like pretty much your top and your top health to get a transplant. Yeah, gosh. So, uh, how was your mom during all that time? Um. Well, um, she was um, she's already retired, and she was already retired by then. So, um, all her time was pretty much taking care of my dad. Even though they didn't have the best relationship, it was it's just everything just turned to make my dad okay. Everybody like banded together to make my dad okay like on his caretaking like she took on that responsibility full-time with my sister that still lives at home mm. and they would be their his main caretakers and I would come um every single weekend and help out at that sentence for my studies really yeah yeah I bet so did did you end up managing to graduate no I did not I did five years of graduate school and I have no degree so oh bless me it is actually is something that um I didn't want to talk about for the longest time because for yeah. me it was a huge blow to my aspirations and my ego and whatnot but um after my dad died he died in June so I went back the next semester like nothing happened and I actually got dismissed from the program on December, that December, because I hadn't finished some work. And it was because of, I just couldn't, I just couldn't deal. Like, I was... No, well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised. Were you right? Was it since, is it something over there that you were able to, I suppose it was different in grad school as well. Were you able to get, like, special circumstances or extensions on deadlines and stuff where they're just like no this is the deadline um well it, it was kind of like case to case that I would ask my professors that kind of stuff and everybody knew my situation like everybody knew where I was going it was pretty common knowledge what I was yeah. going through especially with my advisors and whatnot but I think I don't know academia is pretty unforgiving it pretty much like the attention goes to the students that are doing really well so the ones that are doing are not doing as well as I was kind of get pushed to the side so what do you what did you do then after that happened like how did you kind of occupy yourself and stuff after he passed away and I got kicked out of school yeah <laughs> well it took me it took me like six months to because to me the whole the whole school thing after my dad just died it was a huge blow like it yeah. was just traumatizing like and not just because I had to stop going to school it's because um, I tried to appeal the decision, so there were two appeals, and I had to like bring documentation, and bring documentation regarding my father's health during that time, 
and my health during that time. Even though they knew I was going to therapy, like my advisor knew I was going to therapy the entire time. Um, she knew that my dad was sick. She knew that my dad had died. Um, I still had to sit, literally sit in front of uh, like 15 people, 15 professors and people that worked at the university and just explain to them what had been happening to, for the past three oh. years. God, that's hard. Yes, I was like bawling my eyes the entire time. And I just pretty much had to convince them to let me back in the school for at least, at least, a, you know, probation. Yeah. And it was horrible because I had to relive the whole ordeal with my father. With a room full of strangers. Yeah, in front of a bunch of people that you know don't really care. Uh-huh. Oh, awful. Yeah, it was, it was so traumatizing for me, like, just on top of the death. And him, um, he actually, before he died, like a week before, no, like, I would say like three weeks before he died, he actually called me on the phone. But I'm sure, I, I should say, were his goodbyes. What did he say to you? He actually said that he wanted me to graduate. And I love my stuff, but that's what really stuck to me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that happened. So I was like, oh my God, not only am I failing myself right now, I'm failing my dad. Because that's what he wanted me to do. That was literally his last wish for me. It's difficult because I know you've probably heard this said to you so much, but your dad might have said that to you, but more than anything, he would have wanted wanted you to have just have just been okay, you know? Like, to have still been able to continue life, even though, like, he wasn't there anymore. I think we kind of got ourselves stuck on these things that our parents have said to us when, to them, the most important thing really is our happiness more than anything, isn't it? Yeah, like, actually, not a lot of people say that. Oh, well, it's true. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure more than anything, he would have wanted you to have just been okay. And the thing is that I hated school (laughs) the entire time. Like, ever since he got sick and my mental health got really bad, I just started to hate the whole thing. The school itself, not psychology or not my patients that I had, I just hated the academia. And the thing is that I never actually told him that I hated it. So in his mind, I was doing what I wanted. Yeah, of course. But in reality, it's the last thing you wanted to do. (laughs) Yeah, I I just wanted to quit and just do something else, but I didn't know what else to do. And I was so far in already. That I was like, I might, I just might as well finish, you know. After this, after the third year, you just might stick it out. I because you're so far in, like economically and time wise, like a grad school is like pretty much full time. So. And apart from, obviously the, um, professors and stuff, were there other people around that you could then go speak to about it? Did you have? Like, what was, like, your friendship circle like at the time? I have re- really close friends from school, but kind of, like, they were doing okay, so they they couldn't really relate. To them, it was just 
this is what I want to do and this is what I'm doing. And then they knew they were going to graduate and it was just like that. So it was really hard to find somebody that I could relate. And I don't think I actually did find someone that related to me, related to what I was going through until after like a, maybe a year ago that a friend of mine got close to me and told me I graduated and I hated every second of it. <laughs> Like, I would not go back again, like, for anything. No. And this is a person with a degree that hated the whole thing. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's not for everyone. Like, so did, did you have any friends around you that you could speak to about your dad? Yeah, I had. Um, I'm kind of like a very, um, I'd rather have very close friends that, like a lot like a large group of friends yeah so I have few friends but they're like the ones that I've had for a long time so I uh, my best friend and whatever I um I would tell her about stuff and she would listen I mean she can she couldn't really relate to what I was going through because she was already out of school she had already graduated, and she um, and her parents were, were healthy. Yeah. So that's another thing that I had nobody around me at that time who had a sick parent. No. And so it was really hard for me to relate. I mean, at home, we really didn't talk about it. It was just like survival. And it was just crisis after crisis after crisis and hospital visits and remission and sort of remission and sort of like deteriorating again it it varied so much like whenever I showed up for the weekend I didn't know what I was gonna walk into like I didn't know if he was gonna be up and walking or if he was gonna be bed bound and did it affect your relationship with your siblings at the time as well because obviously with your other sister living back home still were you know were there any relationship changes there well my relationship with my sister that lives at home didn't get affected in any case I think we got closer because we were you know in it together but my other siblings kind of like stayed on their in their lives while we went through the crisis and I went to pretty much every single doctor's appointment he had and I would always stay with him um overnight when he was in the hospital because like you know I'm I'm a night owl so I I could stay away (laughs) all night so I would stay with him I would like watch over him and then my mom or my sister would take over in the morning but my other sis, uh, my other siblings, kind of like they kind of stay living their life like nothing was happening. It's a lot of people's way of coping. They yeah. will, um, they will just carry on living their everyday lives and not think about the fact that this person might die and they might not be there anymore. It was pretty like it was. It got to the point where I really resented them for it. Yeah, it gets because so frustrating. Yeah, the way I saw it, they could live their lives, but we were stuck in this eternal crisis where we didn't know what was going to happen next. 
yeah, I get that. Because you're just like, why can't you see that this is like having this huge effect on me and, you know, more when you're the sister and like it's almost like they're just carried on as normal and you're just like, ah, part of you must have been like, you just, I mean, were you able to speak to them about it or? Um, I don't think we're that kind of family, <laughs> to be honest. We had our fights and whatever, but I don't think we're that kind of family that would sit down and be like, you have to spend more time at home. You have to help out <laughs> yeah. more. And it all went back to my relationship with my mom, which wasn't great. And her, like, require me to be there all the time because that was my duty yeah. as a daughter. But her not asking the same of my brother and my other siblings. So was it like that after your dad died as well? Did you feel a responsibility to spend a lot of time at home with your mum? Yeah, definitely. Because if I didn't, who who else is? Yeah. And to this point, like, my mom actually, she had two strokes back in, I want to say, April of last year. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so she almost died. <laughs> oh. Yeah, she was pretty touch and go for, for a second there. Yeah, I bet. And Gosh, you guys have been through a lot. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's so messed up because she's actually, um, she had some damage to her brain. So she's able to move. Like, she didn't get, like, a side thing where, where she can't move a side of her body or anything. But cognitively, she's kind of regressed a little bit. My mom's cognitive abilities have deteriorated a lot ever since the strokes. So it's kind of like a flashback. <laughs> Not a yeah, flashback, like, yeah. taking me back to what my dad went through yeah that deterioration she's not getting worse but she is in that state where he started to go so it's kind mm. of like really messed up right now you mentioned before that it's only been in the last year that you kind of started dealing with your grief so that obviously kind of coincides with when you moved to the US so what what is it do you think that made you realize that you had to kind of go and get some help and talk to somebody about what you've been through oh it's just I think it has been like being in close quarters with my mom I think (laughs) even though we got closer after my dad died um being it was like we got closer after my dad died but living together wasn't for us isn't (laughs) for us like I cannot live with her (laughs) (laughs) at the same time like, my dad was the peacemaker at home. He was the one that would yeah. say, like, don't argue, don't fight. And he would, like, intervene and he would make things better. So yeah. he was kind of a buffer on our relationship. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, that was exactly the same with me. So, yeah, because we had three. You ended up with me and two sisters and my mom. So it was just now just, like, four females for emotional females all together without that without that peacemaker yeah definitely um so i wanted to talk about a little bit more about what i told you guys online about anticipatory grief 
Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, which, by definition, is <laughs> the emotional response response to pending to the pending death of a loved one, which is you know self pretty self explanatory. Yeah. But I think um deep down I always I knew he wasn't gonna make it. He wasn't gonna get a mm. transplant. Like I just had this feeling that it was that it wasn't gonna end well. Yeah. Like I think maybe my family thought that he would get a transplant and it would everything would get okay again. It would be okay again. Yeah, living in hope. Yeah, but I definitely wasn't. I was living for the moment right then. I was living for the crisis and I was living for... I had small hope that maybe he would get on the transplant list or that something would get better. But apparently the damage to his body was too great. Actually, he spent like two weeks in the hospital before dying. Yeah. And he was just... He was nonverbal. And he was just there in the bed. And I remember that I was thinking, this is it. Like, yeah, like it's gonna happen. This one is different. This hospital visit is different. And like, family came, like, everybody got on high alert. So, my siblings that had by now moved to, to the States came over. Like, apparently, they told, they told my mom that it was serious. So, they came from the States, they came to Puerto Rico, and it was just, like, family all around. It lasted for almost two weeks. God. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. That must have been a really difficult two weeks. Yeah, I was kind of in a haze, like, in a day. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't even remember. It was just, like, one day melted into another. It's difficult during those times because you find even, like, simple everyday stuff, like eating your three meals a day, becomes so unimportant and so much of a chore. I mean, sleep for me was, like, I didn't want to go home and sleep. Because I might miss something big. Yeah. Yeah. He might, like, die. And I, like, if I hadn't been there, I would have never forgiven myself. So did you, were you sleeping at the hospital? Or were you going back home and then just going back every morning? Whenever I slept, I would just go back to my mom's house and sleep and come back. So I would sleep a couple hours and come back. Yeah, I remember doing that as well. He was, like, non-responsive, like, he wasn't talking. I remember that the only thing he responded to was my niece. 
um, my, like I told you, my brother came from the States and he, they let, the, the situation was so bad that they let her see, they let him see my niece, who was about six or seven at the time. And they let her go into the room, which over there is a pretty much a no-no. And when he saw my niece, who he hadn't seen in over a year, he just started crying. Oh. Like, not, like, actively crying, but you could see, like, he had tears running on his face. Yeah, I bet. Because I bet he, he must have realised himself at this point as well. Were, were you there when he when he died? There was actually a kind of a fight between my mom and my and me and my siblings um because um we wanted him to be intubated because he was yeah. really struggling to breathe on his own and my mom didn't want to intubate him i don't know maybe she thought it was time like like thinking back but back then it was like what is wrong with you what don't why don't you want him to get better I mean, I was, like, so stubborn until the end. Like, I just wanted him to get yeah, there. Yeah. So we were actually in the room next because we were having a downright argument. And we were, they chained us to the room next to him that was empty. And we were arguing, and another doctor came in and told us he was going into respiratory distress. So we all, like, doctors and all we all ran into the other room and he died oh. yeah it was just horrible all around he was like um i was talking about it in my blog the other day that i realized um that he was making you know that I noise hate, I, I hate that it's it haunts me the um the death rattle they call it it's horrible like, it was so horrible. I, I think that was part of the reason I couldn't sleep at all. Was because that noise, it was so loud. It was yeah. so, like, like in a way, animalistic, I will say. It was just something I've never heard before. And it would keep me up because I would be like, I, I didn't even know there was a thing back then. Well, it's horrible because... All these films and stuff that we watch where, you know, people die, they're never doing, they never do that, do they? Because, you know, it, it's a film and I just don't think, I don't think death is very well represented or explained. Realistic or realistic at all. No, so we're always, I think actual death is comes as such a shock to us when we see what people what happens to people yeah definitely like and they never tell you it'll take like days for a person to die it's it's always really like the person just kind of closes their eyes and takes a last breath and that's it and it's not real (laughs) that's not what happens no like um we knew he was gonna um, die that it was they didn't tell they didn't tell us that time he was gonna die but they told us his other organs were failing yeah and another kind kind doctor uh, pulled me and my brother aside and he said that he was never gonna make it to the transplant list that he knew that all along gosh 
So I was like, so you let us on for years? Yeah, never let you kind of process what was going to happen. No, because I felt like you was going to die. But the entire time there was that tiny bit of hope. Yeah. That with a surgery, with a transplant, he would get better. That's terrible. And also, he, he told us that because of the encephalitis, that he had brain damage. That even if they did a transplant, he got better. He didn't reject it. He wasn't going to be the same person he was ever again. No. But I was like, I don't care if it's the same person. I'm just one way that. Was there anything at the time that anyone said to you that was particularly helpful or unhelpful? Oh, I don't... During that time, I... Like, when he was actively dying, I don't think anybody actually said anything helpful, to be honest. Like, there's nothing that really stands out that I would say... Well, that person was, you know... (laughs) Was right. It was pretty much my mom's attitude about let's let it go that really was really unhelpful what about in the last couple of years since like has anybody ever said something to you that's made you think wow like that's i can really relate to that um i had this completely random person tell me um in a message where I was like, I, I have posted a picture of him and she responded with, I hope your grief moves um, gently through you. Oh, I love that. And that was just like the oh, nicest thing like. to date that everybody, anybody has said about that. Yeah. yeah, I had never heard that before too. So No, me neither. So I kind of like just adopted it as a phrase and whenever I see somebody that's just someone, that's the kind of thing I would say. I think I, I kind of experimented both things because um, I had the grief, ongoing grief from the past years, from not knowing when he was going to die, like every single phone call was terrifying. Yeah. Like getting a phone I was terrified the entire time that I would get a phone call saying my dad was that was dead or something. And that happened <sighs> for years. Yeah. So imagine being like in that kind of yes. like it takes such a toll kind of fight you. or flight kind of constantly. Yeah, like and it was like was he gonna be in the hospital? Was he gonna go home? He fell a couple times, so he had to go to the hospital. Um, he actually got to the point where he couldn't um, take care of himself, so, you know, um, we had to change him and bathe him at home. Yeah. And that that was something that kind of changed me in a way, because he was this kind of person that... He he would never like even walk at home in his underwear. He was yeah. just like he was so like private and whatever. That for him, I could tell that for him it was so difficult to have, especially me, cleaning him up and bathing him. 
it's a really d difficult part of somebody dying is them losing their own ability to care for themselves and having to have their children caring for them. Yeah, definitely. And for him to lose his independence and his abilities, I mean, he was really self-sufficient. Like, he wouldn't ask for... He was the caretaker at home. He... That was like... Like, I cannot imagine, like, losing all of yourself. Yeah. And, like, part of this anticipatory grief was kind of like knowing what things would be like and waiting for them. Like, I knew that one day he wouldn't remember who I was. And when it happened, it was like, oh, my God. Like, it's finally happened. He doesn't, he, he can't remember my face right now. Was that a long-term thing, or was that the... No, that just happened from time to time. And it's terrifying because, I mean, it's hereditary. We don't know who might get it next, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Is there no way you can be tested for it or anything? No, I don't think so. But I am monitoring, like, my, my liver and stuff like that. So, do, do you think that this has changed the way that you go about your life then and kind of like your attitude towards it and stuff? Um, I think so, like, especially recently. Um, yeah. I ended the new year um, and I ended the previous year and started this one with this whole, like, I went through a bad breakup and it just kind of threw me into rock bottom because I was already so, so sad about my dad because, you know, I was like away from home. I was in this new place that I'm really, I haven't fallen completely into place yet. Um, away from my hometown, away from yeah. the holidays as we know them. And yeah. Because, like, culturally, we have very different holidays. They're very, very upbeat and very, like, Christmas starts the day after Thanksgiving. It just ends in, like, January 6th. So it's, like, it's very festive time. And here's, like, a lot more mellow. So how, how, how does your Christmas differ in Puerto Rico? So it's like an American Christmas. Um, I don't know. It's like culturally, it's like um, there's there's a food. <laughs> there's a lot of food. Obviously. There's a lot of food, and yeah, there's the traditions, and it's more about it's less about Santa Claus and stuff. So it's it's pretty different. It's very. Like it's a like like a two month long party. There's the drinking, the eating. Yeah, it's really great. Like here is so mellow and so like yeah. everything is Santa Claus and everything is just so different. And I was so like at the end of the year I was so homesick, and it really hit me um about my dad not being here for another holiday. Yeah. And then breakup. I was just rock bottom. 
Yeah. And I just sat down and I just said, like, you can't keep on going like this. So I actually reached out and started going to a grief support group. Oh, fab. Yes. Um, it's an eight-week program. I'm on week, uh, week six right now. Week six. What's that like? Um, it's actually much better than I thought. Like, um, I'm the youngest person there, obviously. And most people yeah. are there because they lost their spouses. Yeah. But still, like, in a way, pain knows pain. Sometimes I feel different. I feel like people can't relate to me because when a woman, like, loses her mother, it's like this kind of, like, kinship and friendship that is lost, but they don't kind of advertise the same thing for when a woman loses her dad. No, it's true. That was exactly the same for me because the relationship that most people have with their mum is the, like the relationship that I had with my dad. But like you say, like people, people see there's never like a hierarchy of loss. But a lot of people will assume that a woman losing her mum is more painful than a woman losing her dad. And it's the same if a guy loses his dad versus his mum. Like I think. Yeah, but it obviously it very much depends on each person and their individual situation. But in society, yeah, it's viewed as if you lose your mum, it's worse. Even though obviously there's not there's not a hierarchy. Like you say, pain pain knows pain, and loss is loss. But at the same time, I was trying to look for support, and I couldn't find anything relatable because it was all about women losing their moms. And like I told you, I don't have the best relationship with my mom. And anyway, it's different. Yeah. And then men losing their fathers. Yeah. And it's kind of, I was like in between thinking like, so where do I fit in here? Because my dad for me was like the most hands-down important person in my life. So it was kind of like, where do I fit in? And in the grief group, grief support group, it's kind of the same in a way. At first, it was like, I, I I thought I couldn't relate to these people because they're older, in some cases, much much older than me, like twice my age, and they lost their spouses. And actually, I, told, I asked them, the ones that lost their parents, what they would say if they were like, in a podcast like I am right now. Yeah. And... One of them told me it would be difficult because she had lost her mother as her mother, like, an older person. Yeah. And, but still, like, it was kind of difficult for them to relate because they were there for another reason. More pressing reason was another one. There is another person that is there because both her parents died um, and her mother died pretty recently. So... And she's closer to my age. I think she's in her 30s too. I think it's difficult because all of our experiences of grief are all individual. Like, even if two people lost the same... um, Even two people in the same family who both lost the same parent of a similar age, they all 
grieve in completely different ways. They're different relationships with that person, but I think it's being around other people who know what pain feels like and being able to find things that you can relate to with each other about your grief and just having some sort of open conversation about the pain that you're experiencing I think that makes all the difference it doesn't matter where your grief has come from yeah it's just being able to talk about it isn't it yeah like now that you say that I was thinking about it and I think I'd never heard my brother which um he's like five years older than me I don't think I've heard him say anything about my dad since he died he just kind of locked up yeah and I feel so bad for him sometimes because he is like the spitting image of my dad when he was younger so imagine like I can't imagine him looking at himself in the mirror yeah and seeing his dad yeah I think there's this this awful presumption too and expectation of men that not that like they shouldn't talk about their emotions and I think so many men struggle with that. Yeah, for him, um, he's the only he's the only man in the family right now. So there's also I think the expectation yeah. of him to step yeah. up and be the be the strong yeah. one, and you know, not not be upset. But but yeah, we're not. Like I think this whole crisis with my mom has pretty has 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 us pretty rattled right now. Yeah, I bet it does. So we're not we're not really together. We're trying to like get together to help my mom and whatnot. But it has been pretty pretty hard to get everybody together and on the same page regarding my mom because sometimes she can't take care of, take care of herself. And it, like I told you, it takes me back to those times. Mm-hmm. And I just, it got to the point where I didn't want to deal with it. Like, I I feel selfish and I feel like a bad daughter or whatever. But I just don't want to go through the same thing again. Yeah, well, because you're like, I've just, I'm just getting to grips with this trauma that I've been through and now I'm going to have to do it all over again. Can I ask a few more questions about the um, the support group what is it like do you meet each other um like face to face like how often do you is there like other elements of it as well sure. um so it's pretty much like class it runs for eight weeks the one i'm in and we meet each other face to face every week on monday and there's like five of us i think and the person running the group and we um it's not that we follow a guide, but we have like this huge binder full of papers, like it's huge. And each week they give us uh like a like a chapter like last week it was talking about the new normal, which I know was a thing last week for you guys too, talking about Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. What a coincidence. It was talking about the new normal and about um what can we do after loss after while well, we were grieving not you know because it's not like grief just you graduate from the class and you're cured and there's no more grief or whatever. I, mean, that, I want to be in that class. 
Can you imagine? Yeah. That'd be so ideal. Yeah, it would be great if you just graduated from that class and you'd be like cured. <laughs> Never cried again. But um, we actually had a speaker last week, or this week, um, with um, she had gone through a loss too, loss of her mother, and she's this like such an amazing woman. She's like like she got me so motivated and. That was like a change because um I've been thinking about volunteering and she like um she's retired but she started volunteering because she couldn't get out of the house while her mom was in hospice. So she's getting out of her comfort zone, doing things for herself, doing things for the community. And I think that's just such a great thing to do. And I and my dad, like I told you, my, my dad, if I had to describe him in one word, he was generous. And I feel kind of bad that I'm not, like, doing anything to commemorate that. So that's why I want to, like, do more stuff, volunteer, get out of the house, do something more like he would do, you know? And... I just, it just was very motivating, and I think the group, at first I thought I wouldn't, like, click with it, but then there was a picture exercise, so there was, like, we had to bring pictures of our loved ones to the group, and that's the first time I actually, like, sat down and picked pictures that I had, and had them printed out. And I took them and I showed them and I explained. Um, in some pictures, the deterioration was pretty obvious mm-hmm. of my dad's health. You could definitely tell he lost so much weight. He was like 6'2", and he yeah. lost like 100 pounds, I think. And he just got so gray. And so for the longest time, I couldn't keep any pictures of him. Like, I tried a couple months ago to put up a picture of us together, and I just had to put it down. Like, I flipped it over. I couldn't look at it. What was the reason? Because you were getting upset every time? Or... Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't look at it. And I just, um, it got to a point where, like I told you, I just flipped over the frame. I couldn't, I couldn't even, like, see it facing me. Oh. And I didn't keep any other pictures in my apartment around. But when that happened, when the exercise in the in the grief support group happened, I got I actually went out and got a picture of him that we chose together. And I got it I got an eight by ten of it, a big picture. And I got a picture of us, my favorite picture of him and me together. And I just framed it, framed them both, and they're on top of my piano in my living room. And Aww. they're just there. And now I finally feel comfortable. Despite oh, I'm glad. That. Oh, I'm so I kind of attribute that to the group, <laughs> kind of pushing me a little bit out of my comfort zone. Yeah. So what else, is there any other really good advice that they've given in the group and anything then that you would 
like to then depart onto anyone else who's coming into the DPC? I think it's not so much advice as it is this sense of community and this sense of other people go through it too. And like, you know, intellectually, you know that other people go through it all the time. But when you're faced with other people, when you're sitting with other people that have gone through pain, like you have, it's kind of like, like you get it, like it clicks. Like it kind of clicks and you feel like somebody might finally understand what you've been going through all this time. And I really um, don't have, I have two friends that have lost their parents. And we don't, we don't talk much, but you know, we have that kind of relationship, like we know. Like if I post something or they post something, we give each other support because yeah. we know what it's like. But I, I don't know, like, it's not that I wish I had somebody closer to me that had lost a parent because I don't want anybody close to You're me. You're going to wish someone, yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, I wish, like, I could get closer to people that were in this kind of in the same boat than me so they could understand because like there's really no way you can understand until like you're at least halfway there until you've ha- you've stared like a death in the face and and it changes you and it's just different and people people can't they just can't relate to that yeah definitely I think it's just people and for me it was really difficult to keep friendships too after my dad died um because kind of I don't know if they liked that I was talking so you know so out loud about it yeah and I think it's because it reminds them of their own mortality and that the fact that their parents will die too I mean nobody wants to think about that and I'm the constant reminder that their parents could die at any moment. And I think that's scary for a lot of people. I think they find the idea of that pain hard to process, so they just avoid having to speak about it. Yeah. But it's been, like, very hard to keep friendships. So, I don't know. I I think that I would sort of advise anybody that is going through what I went through, especially with the anticipatory part of it, yeah. To like, first, if it's if you got time, first to cherish every moment, really, to take that mm-hmm. picture, to record that audio, make that video, because in the end, is like those memories are all we have right now. I'm in the process of getting um some home pictures transferred from VHS to digital because I don't have videos from him um recently and even then I wouldn't want to see him sick so um I want to get those um transfers so I could see him in his prime so that would be my sort of advice to people especially the ones that still have their parents living 
take advantage of every moment that you get, definitely in every picture that you want to take. Yeah, because I think there's kind of like this stigma to our generation taking a lot of pictures and not enjoying the moment as it is. Um, but I completely disagree. Like, pictures are important, memories are important, and that's all we get at the end of the day. Like, I wish I had his voice somewhere that I could listen to, and... I wish I had videos and fo- and more photos. Me too. So it kind of sounds like pretty morbid. But whenever my mom um, used to send a voicemail, I'll be so annoyed and deleted. Yes. So I'm... <laughs> my mom used to send me voicemails all the time. And now I'm super grateful for the fact that I have them. I've got three of them. Um... Two of them are her singing happy birthday to me over the like the last two years before she died. And one of them is her all stressed out because they accidentally took her debit card out shopping with me and not and not my own. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but I, I am so glad that I have those voicemails, even though at the time I used to be like, why are you leaving me voicemails? Like, I'll just call you back. And now I'm like, thank you so much for leaving me voicemails. Like, it's crap. It's mad how those those things mean so much to you afterwards. Yeah, even when they're annoying. <laughs> even when yeah. people are being annoying, you like my dad was annoying at times, but I still wish I had him even annoying his annoying part. Yeah. Just yeah. have some part of him. And that's why I'm, like, preemptively <laughs> saving my mom's voicemails now and mm-hmm. taking pictures with her and just yeah. being nicer, especially since she's sick. And Yeah, it's true. It does definitely make you more aware as a person of those around you. So um, is there anything else that you wanted to speak about on this podcast, Jamie? know that you guys did a podcast that was like more geared towards mental health yeah and I really that one really resonated with me because um my mental health was so and it's pretty bad right now but it was so bad while my dad was sick I definitely think there isn't enough out there or enough support out there that highlights the effects of grief and death on your mental health and kind of illness at home as well there isn't there isn't enough out there for it so yeah it's it's a cause close to my own heart as well so I do I feel your pain yeah and I don't think there were the resources in Puerto Rico that I needed so that was part of the and, and to be honest like to be fair after the hurricane, it's all been, like, <laughs> a blur of people yeah. trying to get back on their feet. Like, maybe the services were there and I couldn't find them because people were trying to get back to where they were before and agencies and stuff were, like, getting fixed and whatever because it was it was pretty devastating. But right now that I have the resources... I I hope, like I'm hoping and I'm doing everything I can to 
you know, to try and get better, to try and deal with it, because I knew, I, I was ignoring it for the longest time, but I knew it was going to catch up with me. Yeah. Like, that kind of feeling that I'm not dealing with this now, but I am sure that when I do, it's going to come on hard. It's going to bite me in the butt. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I would yeah. say that people need to, like, take care of themselves while, while they're taking care of people. Yes, yes they do. Because caregiving is no joke. Like, you have a person that depends on you. Self-care is key. No, definitely. Like, I don't think I did anything while my dad was sick. Like, to be honest, um, I didn't even date. I didn't, Aww, I yeah. didn't do much. I went on two trips and... I felt guilty the entire time. I was like, yeah, waiting for something to happen, and for me, I was just ready to cancel at any minute. It was just I wasn't, I wasn't living. No. So you think you have to take care of yourself to be to be able to take care of somebody else effectively? I think, and that's an important thing to remember. Definitely, because. When you're in that position, you kind of just focus on the essential. Mm. On changing his diaper, on giving him a bath, getting him to eat something, which is very difficult with somebody that is not all, all there. Yeah. And it's like, people that have taken care of people will, will definitely understand. But it's just that while you're doing it, you gotta take a second and be like, I gotta be okay in order to be okay for other people. Yes. Because it's so much more than cleaning, it's so much more than feeding. It's for them to have a decent quality of life while, while they're alive. Oh, I love that. That's really good advice. That's really, really good advice. Thank you so much, Jamie, for contacting us and for being so brave and willing to come and talk to us. I hope your grief moves moves gently through you and I hope that stays with people. Thank you so much for listening to this week's DPC podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have and have found some comfort in the stories that you've heard today. If you've resonated with anything we've said, have any questions or want to get involved, please do contact us. We are on Instagram. It's at DPC Podcast. You can email us on dpcpodcast at hotmail.com or we have a contact form on our website www.dpcpodcast.co.uk We have a whole bunch of resources over on our website. More information about dealing with grief, losing a parent and professionals to contact if you should need it. Because as Kat so eloquently said in our first podcast... We're not providing healthcare, we're just chatting <laughs> If you think this podcast could help someone, then we would love for you to share it. We upload new podcasts every week, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Loads of love from Sam and Kat. See, See you next, next Tuesday. Nailed it. Nailed it. Hold up. What was that? 
boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm